welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. My name is John Agroni. I'm the film editor for theyoungfolks.com. And you know what? I am turning green with envy because from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a news and entertainment writer at Collider. And it's Will Ashton. Will Ashton, I, I'm, I'm envious of your position because you're wearing a, a bright blue, colorful, nice dress down shirt. And look at me, I'm still in my PJs. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, all dressed for work. So I'm going to be, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know I, where know, I was really going with this. I like, but, to think uh, that, I like to think that doing Cinemaholics hasn't worked, Will Ashton, but point taken. No, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. yeah no, that's, a good, that's a good setup, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about Turning Red, new Pixar movie. Uh, we're also talking about The Atom Project later in this show. Well, I wanted to bring something up about Turning Red. I don't know how you're going to okay. feel about this. Okay. All right. Um, there's a certain review that came out for this movie. Yeah, I was wondering and, if you're going to address this. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I don't. people who listen to the show, they might be aware of what's going on here. They might also remember that back in the day, you used to work for an outlet called Cinema Blend. That and is I wanted true. to. I wanted to bring up this article. You you don't work for Cinema Blend anymore. No, There's I do not. no no intentional disparaging about to go on here of your your former workplace, if that's uh, yep. if I may say so. Sure. But th- th- with this review, it kind of it kind of made the rounds on Twitter. Is that fair mm, to say? Yes. Yeah. It it became a big to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, so for those of you who don't know, um, the managing editor, I think it was of yes, Cinema yeah. Blend. Yes. Yeah. The managing director. Yeah. Yes. He, he wrote an article about Turning Red, and very rarely, Walasha, in my time on social media, have I seen such a resounding, like, universal, no pun intended, um, just decrying of a film review. And the, the short version is that basically he wrote that he found the film exhausting because it, he didn't feel like it was for him and it was too specific, basically. Yeah. Uh, is, is that a fair characterization? I mean, I think a lot of the criticism came from the fact that he said that previous Pixar movies were more "quote unquote" universal, right. which I think is more the. I, I think that was more the point of criticism than the exhausting part. The exhausting was just kind of the like extra punch after that whole thing. So, right, because yeah, people it was, were like, "Yeah, it's okay yeah. if you don't like it. Like, whatever. You don't have to like a movie, right?" But it was just like the criticism itself was just so like, "Whoa, that's." kind of concerning that that's your read of films in general yeah that was the big thing for me and i mean i don't really want to talk about too much because i don't really want to disparage cinema blend in general because they you know they hired me they wrote i i wrote for a few years there i was paid pretty well i you know i got a lot i got the right about film and got paid for it so i'm not gonna disparage the experience but you don't I have think, to disparage them yeah for just, just yeah I, I do think it's important because i know people know that you used to be there i didn't want to leave yeah. it unspoken right no i mean i think my main takeaway from this and what i hope happens from this that uh, it's a learning experience i hope people take this and he takes it as an opportunity to learn that film reviewing or any, any form of art criticism is a matter of having an open and curious mind and an empathetic heart like you can't really go into this 
type of work without having some curiosity for what people are doing, especially artists in their work. And it seemed like the main issue that I took with his review, having read it, was that he just didn't really seem to want to engage with the film on its own terms. And he was trying to be defensive about it and say, like, this movie's not for me and all that stuff, which, you know, there are how many films made for quote unquote, not for them or whatever. It's not a matter of a film mm-hmm. not being for somebody. It's a matter of you kind of trying to engage it. and you can make your point and be like, I don't think this movie works personally because of X, Y, Z. That's what criticism is. But yeah, I mean, his whole dismissal of the film as like, it's only for a select few people in Canada or whatever, like the filmmakers, friends and families that it was just a, a, a Poor review, unfortunately. That's, that's the and, one that yeah. rankled me. It was like, you know, Domi, she made this just like for her friends. And uh, yeah, that that's the part that I was just like, oof. Like, I and I, I wrote I wrote a little bit about this myself. And, you know, I we should recognize like he apologized. They took the review down. And, you know, it, it's not like this is some yeah. sort of like we need to like have like a blood sacrifice or anything. Like right. That. Well, but, some yeah. people were like saying that he should get fired and stuff like that. I don't think he should get fired. I just think he should learn from this experience. That's yeah, my here, main yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Teachable moment. But I, I think for me, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at this whole situation and it is a little bit indicative of something that has been frustrating me in general with how I think like most film critics are approaching films these days. I shouldn't say most. I should just say many. Um, I'm just getting this sense that like everything is just so binary when it comes to how we're talking about movies. I know you and I have had this conversation many times about like why we don't do grades anymore. You know, like it, it just seems like if the if your review comes down to like you quickly just sum up, OK, here's what the film is. It's not really for me. I don't think it's this. I do think it's this. I think that like reviews should be much more like engaging and, and written in a way that's not just about you, you know, like I, this is one thing, too, that I think um, one of the reasons I think it can be like a, a dangerous territory to like write a review with yourself in it too much and your personal experience is that it can sort of alienate other people who are reading it because it's like, OK, that's your experience. But like. I think when we're analyzing things and giving our perspectives, that's just like one piece of like trying to contextualize a movie for like the public. And I think that, yeah, this 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 whole thing is a, a little indicative of something that's been frustrating me with like, I feel like a lot of reviews are just sort of like, like with the Batman, you know, it's just like, this didn't work for me. And like, that's it. You know, there's just like, leave it at that. And like, people just aren't really like discussing things maybe they're afraid of discourse i don't know but uh i'm happy to see that like turning red is you know certainly aside from this review really like finding a lot of love and joy with people right now Mm -hmm. and and, you know but i'm curious like i haven't seen a lot of backlash for this movie yet i'm curious what people are going to start saying like once it settles you know yeah i don't know about that but yeah i mean that's my main thing from this whole tobacco is i just think it's a very teachable moment for people to really if they're going to go into film criticism they are already are in film criticism the main thing is you really just have to go in with a great deal of empathy and you have to really be open-minded about art and i really i mean one thing i really think not that i'm someone who's really in a position to give advice in in life but i i do think it is important to really try to explain expand your horizons and see as many different films as possible and try to go into them open-mindedly and even if you don't really understand them or if you don't really appreciate them just kind of just like write about it but not in a way that's dismissive or like you know not willing to engage with the art or the text just really approach film with a a great 
deal of empathy and curiosity. And I, I think that's so crucial to explore any form of art, really. So that's that's what Agreed. I hope is a takeaway. Yeah. We should be clear, by the way, that we're, we're kind of making it sound like this was written by like a 22 year old, like newbie film critic with no it was written by, like we said, the no, managing editor but, of the publication right. who's middle aged. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, I don't know if he's going to really learn from this experience or not. I, I think it's more of a teachable moment for anyone who's like, especially because I know we have a lot of younger listeners. And I think that that's where sure, I really sure. want to like kind of stress. But I mean, certainly I, I hope he takes, you know, this uh, all the criticism that he's been getting to heart and in learns that he should, you know, explore different films with a, you know, broader, uh, more yeah, willing I mean, understanding to, you know, engage with films in their own terms. I genuinely think that he just didn't like the movie. And sometimes when you don't like the movie that a lot of other people are really loving and you feel yeah. like the odd person out, it can, there, there can be this sort of like contrarian temptation, you know, to just sort of like, you know, be that person. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case it was like almost searching for reasons to sort of like be like, yes. this is why the movie's actually bad. And like, if you can't, it's, it's a tricky place to be. And if you can't do it properly and you can't do it in a way that's like fair to the film, you're, you're going to mm-hmm. invite a lot of backlash. Um, yeah. you know, for good or bad, but that's, uh, I guess, I guess we can actually just talk about this movie because what about yeah. us, you know, yeah, like sure. what's our, yeah. what's our deal with this movie? Yeah. Oh, the only other thing I was going to mention about that is that, uh, as far as the publication, I know that they said that they were going to reassign the review and, and at the time of this recording, they haven't re, uh, they haven't I have published an announcement a new to make Will Ashton. Well, I'm that, gonna be, I'm <laughs> no, no, I just didn't. I mean, that was a big thing. And then they said there'd be more editorial integrity and they I don't, they weren't really clear on that so i'm not quite sure what this means for the publication moving forward but i mean i hope it's a you know like i said i just hope it's a learning moment yeah i don't know how other people like edit reviews because they were sort of saying like oh we didn't edit this properly and i i that kind of hit me a little interestingly because i when i edit things i have had times where i've had i've messaged the writer and i've been like hey you know like i think that your point here might come across a little weird or yeah. i've been like hey you graded this a certain way but it's not like you, the grade isn't matching the writing <laughs> like yeah. like for like sometimes people will give something like a 9 out of 10 but all they do is criticize the film and i'm like mm-hmm. wait wait, wait. <laughs> like this doesn't make sense so Which, in general you, editing is fun yeah at least you asked that i've had several experiences where the editor will just change my rating without directing me and that is one of the most infuriating oh, things yeah. ever for an editor to do uh yeah yeah i've just like given advice i've been like you know and, and there have been times when people haven't sent me their rating. And like, I know earlier I was being like, we don't do grades anymore, but I know I've done that with you, Will. And I've been like, if I had to guess, I'd say, you know, this feels like a seven, but what is it? And, you mm-hmm. know, that is whatever it is. No, I mean, you're you're definitely one of the more uh, considerate and thoughtful editors I've ever had. And that's no exaggeration. Well, thank you. Yeah. I should try to actually get you to edit one of my things and see what happens. Then get, you can get your revenge on me. But yeah, <laughs> that's how you get canceled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> John, in this review of Titan, I don't think you, you use the, you need to use these words, these four little words. Um, okay, turning red. This is the latest Pixar film, and listeners know when it comes to Pixar, I'm all in. The new Pixar movie is coming out. Rain or shine, I'm gonna be there. And I, I certainly, I owe a lot to the studio. Whenever a new Pixar movie comes out, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm so anxious to watch it and enjoy it because the studio has a very specific track record. And, you know, people have been debating, you know, the, the current post John Lasseter era lately. And Turning Red, I think, is kind of one of the um, 
it, it, it's coming in an interesting time because we're at the tail end of the, this is the fourth original they've done in a row which is really incredible um, that they have just sort of, uh, since Toy Story 4, recommitted to doing original stories. Um, a few of these with totally different filmmakers, I should say, two of them, <laughs> so half of them. And after this, we're going to get Lightyear. We're going to get the sort of uh, <laughs> French New Wave Toy Story spinoff. Um, that is a reference to another tweet that uh, I, I absolutely adore. But, uh, you know, anyway. So this movie I have been looking forward to a lot ever since it was announced that Domi Shi was directing it. Domi Shi directed Bao, the short film that opened Incredibles 2 back in 2018. So those were the days when we were we had gotten like Cars 3 and Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4. And then, and of course, got to remember Finding Dory. We just gotten like a lot of prequels and spinoffs like over and over again with like, I think the only thing that was original around that time is Coco. So it was it was a bleak time. I think for fans of like original Pixar movies and Domi Shi came out with this, this short film called bow, which was so weird. It was so uncomfortable and I loved it so much. I, every time I watched it, I was just, I had a reaction in the theater that I think other people in the theater were like horrified. I was just like smiling, clapping and that kind of thing. Um, did we, did we talk about bow much when we did our, I know we talked about Incredibles two and everything, but yeah, I'm sure we addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think we usually address the uh, the short films that used to play before Pixar movies back in the the days yeah. when they would get yeah. a theatrical release. Remember those? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Barely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember enjoying it for sure. It was just such a bizarre, but yeah, like you said, uniquely kind of funny and touching. Uh, you know, metaphor of a short film, and I really love Toby Chu's music it. in it. Yeah. yeah. I remember it got one of the most audible like gasps I've ever heard in a movie theater yeah. during one crucial moment, like midway through, or I guess three fourths away through. So well, there's not, certainly that, yeah. Well, not long before that came out, Domi Shi ha- went to Pete Doctor, who's the head of Pixar now creatively, and she pitched her own feature film idea, which is this movie Turning Red. And they announced it not long after that that she would be directing her own movie. And I just ever since then I've been like, yes. I'm so excited for this. I think that she is one of the younger but more exciting voices at Pixar. And I think Turning Red absolutely like delivers on that. Like I'm so happy with how this movie turned out. Now to sort of set the stage for what it's about, Turning Red is very personal to Domi Shi's life, her experience growing up in Toronto, Canada. She is Asian or Canadian, I should say Chinese Canadian. And this movie takes place in 2002. And obviously it's not a literal sort of like this happened to me because it's kind of like a fantastical movie, but obviously it's a metaphor allegory. It's borrowing things from her personal life, very personal film. Hence the whole opening thing we talked about, you know, connecting with like a very specific story and all of that. Now, the way this movie is being described is that it's a coming of age fantasy comedy and animated, obviously. It's it's kind of like, if I had to assign a genre to it, it's like middle grade, that kind of thing. Now, this is Domi Shi's first feature film. The screenplay she co-wrote with Julia Cho. And I th- Julia Cho, I don't know if you're as familiar with her um, work, but she's like a TV writer and a playwright. She, she did a few things that I haven't seen, um, but I think this is like her first Pixar uh, feature. So interesting there. Um, this was also produced by Lindsay Collins, who I think was Domi Shi's producing partner for Bath, I'm not mistaken. Now, anyway, the movie stars Mei Lin, or just Mei, who is a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student, 
and she's voiced by Rosalie Cheng. And she is kind of like this precocious, hyperactive, like I sort of like I, I march to the beat of my own drum, if that's fair to say. And uh, she has like a tight knit group of friends. And as we mentioned, she lives in Toronto. She works at this uh, Chinese temple that her house is in with her mom. Her mom is voiced by Sandra Oh. They have a very like lovely like relationship. I mentioned in this in my review that like when the movie was kind of getting going, I didn't watch the trailers, but I watched the teaser and I was a little nervous that they were just going to sort of redux the mother-daughter relationship in Brave or maybe in some of the, a lot of other animated films we've seen before where it's like, okay, the mom, the daughter aren't going to get along and they're going to bicker and, you know, the movie's going to be about how they stop doing that. But no, like, the, where the movie starts is like her mom is very cringe, like extraordinarily cringe. Um, to the point where like I was watching this movie and I had to stop it because I was just like I was dying of embarrassment on May's behalf. But the movie starts on a note of like this mother and daughter just being really good friends and having a really healthy, positive relationship in a lot of ways. And I, I thought that was really nice. And that that's like the movie started off on a good note. Now, where the story goes is that she, you know, all of a sudden, for reasons I won't explain, because I, I'd l I'll let the movie do that, she transforms into a giant red panda whenever she gets excited. And when this happens for the first time, her mother like thinks that she's like on her period because she hears her like having a huge meltdown. And that's when I was just like, oh my gosh, Pixar's going there. Like they're actually doing jokes about menstrual cycles in a kid's movie. And I'm like, God bless Domi. She Domi she is the future of Pixar because this movie is hilarious it's heartwarming it's touching and it's deliciously weird not deliciously is the right word but i'm thinking of like the food in this movie is amazing um i'll say deliriously weird i'll change it to that <laughs> um a very weird but very fun and touching pop kind of movie and also very accessible i i, I was a little nervous that like maybe this wouldn't be like approachable for some like mainstream audiences because it's like kind of like 2002 are kids going to get this because of the time period but no I think it has that like sort of timeless Pixar feel like I almost wonder if they even needed to say it was 2002 maybe to get around like why aren't people on their phones all the time and all that stuff but no I, I think that placing in that time is very specific too because Malin and her friends are obsessed with a boy band called Four Town and I guess that wouldn't really make sense if it wasn't in 2002 I, I could keep going and going and going but I wanted to turn it to you Will uh, what did you think of turning red were you into this movie i was yeah i mean as you i think mentioned before we're in this kind of interesting uh pete doctor phase for pixar where um you know i, I guess going with like soul and luca and now with turning red we are seeing more movies from like the new branch of pixar the younger filmmakers who are coming i know pete doctor uh directed soul but Right. Um, yeah, but especially with Luca and this film, yeah, we're, we're seeing kind of like a new phase where they're experimenting with their style more. They're adding kind of more of like, uh, like buoyancy and rhythm to animation. So there's like a classical Pixar style that is still incorporated, but you know, especially with this movie and Luca before it, you know, like Luca, you could definitely see odes, uh, not only Natalia Italian neorealism, but like the, um, studio Ghibli movies. And here we have like kind of a, um, more of an anime 2d sensibility, but in 3d form, that's really exciting. And it gives like a real exuberance to this film that, you know, not only makes it sad that we didn't get to see it in theaters, but just feels so much like, okay, Pixar really is still even 20 something films and really willing to push themselves and experiment and not ever settle. And that's what I find really exciting. But even more than that, as you mentioned, it's just such a 
fun, warm, personal story as well that I think, you know, as a lot of people have been mentioning online recently, the fact that it is so specific and so true to the filmmaker's own life, as I can only assume, it, it does have something that feels very universal as a result. It feels very relatable. It has something that feels very, you know, uh, heartfelt and sincere. And it it's uses such creativity and nuance to tell that story and in a fun and really inspired way. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely it, it's what I really like in seeing from Pixar at the stage in game. And I don't know if it quite reaches the same heights as some of their previous films, but certainly just makes me feel really inspired for what they're doing uh, for the next leg of their uh, company's career. Yeah, I've only seen this movie once. I mean, I'm very excited to watch it again because there's a lot of subtle stuff here. And I know one of my concerns going into it was, well, you know, once again, um, Pixar is sort of releasing a version of a movie that a bunch of other studios have maybe sort of superficially started kind of doing, which is doing like a Chinese Canadian or sort of like, you know, coming of age Chinese movie. So we've got movies like coming or not coming over the moon but over the moon over the moon wish dragon, wish dragon. you know yeah. movies that have like you know young asian americanized protagonist basically mm-hmm. like north americanized yeah. and uh, you know we, we've gotten a few of those and it's like okay here's pixar's it's kind of like when you know i'm not comparing these like unfairly because it, it reminds me of like how coco comes out years after book of life and mm-hmm. people will be like you know Oh, it's just Book of Life, you know, and mm-hmm. in this case, I guess it's not a big of a deal because I don't think a lot of people watched over the movie <laughs> or anything like that. But very similar movies in terms of like using, I think, like Chinese mythology, too. And sort of like there, there's stuff in here about like ancestors and like ritualistic stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of just like small touches of just like Chinese life, you know, like like mm-hmm. little things of like Malin's family and like specific ways they do things. And it's, it's actually done really well here because I, I, I just doing it the Pixar way, I guess, with like where stuff is just sort of there, it's atmospheric. It's not like, I don't know if hyped upon is the right phrasing, but it, I don't think it's like, you know, dwelled on, I suppose, you know, it, it just sort of like normal for these characters. And so like going through it, I, I just felt like I was in this place. I was pretty immersed. I do have one criticism though about some of the world building and is it just me? I haven't seen anybody else say this. I think the characters pop and look really great. I think the red panda design is amazing. I love that panda. But Toronto itself, I didn't find a very like visually interesting location. Like it, it felt like it was oh. kind of washed out to me. Like I don't know. I I didn't I didn't find it as like textured and, and like wonderful to look at like I did in like New York City and Seoul, for example. Yeah, I, I was wondering maybe because the story is so central to you know the family and then the select few friends that we focus on but we really only get like a handful of locations uh here in this like is it toronto or is it just a toronto uh, it is toronto okay we only really see like the city a a couple times like we only you know we we mostly say in like the house and the school and you know occasionally we'll go to a different location but for the most part i I feel like we don't really get to explore toronto that much that might there's a scene where she's running through the streets and that's where i really noticed the exception to the role yeah yeah and i I think like i've been to toronto toronto is a beautiful place the the chinatown in toronto it's so cool it's so lovely yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's super close to where you are huh and (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm just kind of like a passport you know but uh, yeah that's all that's all yeah yeah Yeah, just to get past the mounties you can try but uh, no, I just I genuinely find it to be a very beautiful place. And I don't know, I, I, I think that what they were going for was just sort of like this washed out style to make the red panda pop out more, I guess. 
because you certainly get that across in the school. Like the panda is like this larger than life creature. And I guess it works on that level. But I don't know. I, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of that like Pixar style in the locations. Um, I don't know why, you know, I maybe I'll, maybe on the second viewing, I won't be as critical about that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, was this being made during the pandemic? I mean, I know it had to be yeah. in part, but did it, did it start product like was the pre-production process before it was before uh, because okay. she came she pitched the idea in 2018 yeah late 2017 around then i just didn't know if like because i know pixar takes great lengths to you know study locations like i know i, I remember when i saw fine nemo on like the dvd they talked about how like laborious it was to really like study like ocean side footage and stuff like that to capture it and i wasn't sure if because mm-hmm. of the pandemic they couldn't really like go to toronto and really explore it more that might be one reason but that's just me speculating at this point yeah that's that's hard to say for sure especially because we're you know she grew up there and, and i think um yeah well that's the other thing too right is that, like she actually they had grew up and there, they yeah. had a couple of years to develop this because like again it was like 20 late 2017 early 2018 and pandemic wasn't until a few years after that and they i think they had about like two years of pre-production before they got into it and then they started to develop it but yeah i, I see your point um i also wanted to highlight uh, billy eilish and phineas o'connell developed the original songs for the band for town there's like two or three mm-hmm. of them in this movie and they're yeah. wonderful uh phineas o'connell voice is one of the boy band uh oh is characters. that true yeah yeah i, I know forget that, which yeah. one yeah but uh wonderful i i i think like this whole movie is like sort of a boy band early 2000s obsession it like gives it like mm-hmm. a signature right like it yeah. gives it its own sort of like memorable style it, it makes the movie stick out of my mind better like i'm really glad like i know i was kind of like harping on this earlier but like i am kind of glad that they, they did go with the 2002 thing because now that i'm thinking about it it I, th- I think that if they had just made it this sort of like generic like this might be whenever kind of thing like present day maybe that they usually do with a pixar movie i, I don't think it would have had like this much like fun right yeah i mean that actually because i've seen some people compare this movie to Mitchell's versus the machines. And even though I'm slightly, I did in my review. <laughs> sure. Uh, even though I have expressed criticism just in comparison to other people, one of my chief criticisms about that movie was that it's supposed to be taking place modern day, but it, there's a very like 2009 sensibility. Like the character feels like she's like coming of age in the decade prior. And I felt like that she's ahead of a, her time. Malasha. Well, no, she's behind the time there because it just feels like a disassociation. Like it feels like this is something more true to the filmmaker's background than the character trying to project. And I felt like this approach in comparison was much more agreeable because by stamping it in 2002, it feels so much more specific and it gives itself the freedom to be more attuned to that time period and true to what the filmmaker's actual, you know, upbringing and coming of age years were whereas there's like i said sort of a disassociation i felt with mitchell's versus machine i, so I that's something debate i really that, appreciate i do want to debate that with you for at least 50 minutes but i can't but for now i'll sure. just say <laughs> no I, I do agree with you in that sense i think like may and her group of friends a lovely group of friends it, they are like very like of that era like when we were I, I mean for me i was in middle school around this time and you know i certainly was like recognizing a lot of you know i know for me it was in like the east coast american you know sort of middle school but and this is canadian so it's, it's different in some ways but I, we haven't mentioned like kind of like the mechanics of the plot and i that's because i didn't want to give anything away for like where the story goes but we get to spend a lot of time with may and her group of friends and they're really 
just funny and fun and light. And, you know, there's this whole subplot about how may, you know, she kind of figures out that like maybe part of how I can sort of calm down and control this like a beast inside me is when I think about my friends and I don't know, it's just really touching stuff. I have noticed that this movie, I don't know if other people have been like crying during this movie, but I didn't think it had like a huge like cry emotional punch, but I appreciated that. It was because it wasn't trying to, I didn't think. I think it was just trying to be like <gasps> sweet. Um, do you disagree? I, I mean, I uh, it's been established many times on this podcast. I'm a robot. I don't cry in movies because I'm just not connected to my emotions, I guess. But there is a moment. There is that classical Pixar climactic scene. Really? It's hard I, didn't, to describe. I didn't think it was going for the, the tears is hard. I, I thought the fact that it had such a scene like that, but it wasn't. Uh, it was so much more emotional as opposed to like there's like no like montage scene or not montage, uh, monologue scene. I mean, like it's well, something like onward. either because onward. Had sure. that. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like in onward, there's like a very classical, like old Pixar sort of scene where it's like characters giving like a heartfelt monologue. It's like, this is why I act this way. Don't you understand? Mm-hmm. And not to say that, that movie's bad or anything. I think it's fine. But like, you know, I, I, there's a scene in this movie where they could have done something like that. And said so they they did something a little bit more intuitive and a little bit more what I felt was emotionally resonant. And that was mm-hmm. ultimately one scene that I think really stands out and makes this movie feel so special to me is that it, it trusts the audience enough to just let the emotion of the scene play out in a way that is visually stunning, but also emotionally sincere. And I thought like that was like a pretty classical like it, it didn't make me cry because I like I said, I don't cry in movies, but I, right, I, did I didn't see, either. Yeah. But my my eyes did water a little bit during that scene because I just found it to be kind of a touching little moment. I agree completely. I mean, my eyes didn't water anything, but like, yeah, I think that they broke the formula a little bit. Like they went for that sort of thing differently, which I appreciate. And and I appreciate a lot about this movie is it's very different. It's a funnier Pixar movie than we usually get. It is trying to be something stylistically, like you mentioned, like I was thinking about anime a lot in this because they let the character like they animate her to sort of it's like through her imagination Right. It, it has that sort of like, you know, she dreams certain things and like characters kind of float and do weird things. And like usually Pixar is a little bit more like they try to keep things more grounded and more like within the realm of physics or Pixar physics. Not in this movie. They, they let it be a little bit more whimsical, a little bit more cartoonish. And that's risky for Pixar because their brand is sort of like we're the prestigious animation house right like they don't usually take a risk like this i even remember like in the lead up to this movie people were looking at some of the promotional stills and were just like this looks like a dreamworks movie what the which is like awful thing to say because dreamworks makes really great stuff and i think it's absolutely ridiculous to like sort of be like well pixar's that's real animation business and like dreamworks is this lesser like come on get out of here i Um, mean they're success rate is uh less consistent i think that's fair to say sure but, but I get you know what you mean. i think i think it's it's so demeaning and so diminishing to just like use dreamworks as like a pejorative illumination is sure, sure. but not dreamworks <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can attack one corporation but not the other right there yeah. you go, there you go. well yes i notoriously am not a fan of illumination um but you know i i would not i would not purposely go to i would not in a mean-spirited way try to bring down illumination because they do good right work. They, they make a product that resonates with a lot of people i won't deny yeah. that yeah i mean generally speaking i feel like if you see a pixar movie you can typically get like an a-level film if you watch a dreamworks film you can probably get something in b territory sometimes c but usually somewhere in between like usually you can get like a nice b or even an a-level movie from dreamworks and illuminations like firmly in c territory with the like occasional b but yeah 
that's basically the the lineup there yeah i guess fair rundown you know um I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how this movie turned out. Um, I did want to bring up, too, that I know that there, there's there been a little bit of chatter about whether or not this movie, you know, has and it was supposed to have more LGBTQ representation. Um, some people kind of like hinting that, like, there might have been more direct references, like similar to what we saw in well, Onward, but maybe more so. But employees have yeah. spoken out and been like, they Disney doesn't let us do that. Like, we try to do that. And then they just like erase like right. any reference to like this character identifies as asexual or this character mm-hmm. identifies as bisexual stuff like that and i know a lot of people have been speculating that like you know some of the characters in here are sort of coded to be bisexual but did, did you pick up on any of that yeah because um well for one i mean obviously i mean disney is going through a chair of problems with the lgbt community right now oh, so yeah. that's yeah, that's a whole other can of worms but um and I don't feel like discussing that. You, you guys can do your homework if you don't know what we're talking about. But um, that, was as a, far as that, that would require an entire episode of the show right. to get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's at least I don't remember the friend's name, so I apologize. But uh, Priya. Priya. OK, yeah. So yeah, Priya is like kind of there's like a scene where they're at the party and uh, it, it's implied that she has like sort of romantic feelings for another person at the party and I thought it was going to be suggested that they were going to have like a sort of like fledging romance. And then, you know, they, they keep pushing in like she's attracted to uh, at least one of the members of, you know, four town. So yeah, it's like, it's a, you know, suggested she's either bisexual or gay, but then they just like, you know, it just, it didn't feel like consistent enough. And it felt like, I don't know, it, it seemed like there was something there they wanted to explore, but obviously Disney probably didn't want to, and that was one of the bigger examples I saw of something like that. But I don't know if that you got that read either. From from Priya, I, that's that's the character I thought they were going more for an asexual thing. Personally, I thought that they were going more for Miriam because like she is like a tomboy more, you know, and that's oh, okay. like that term. I get it. Right. I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that was a little bit more of like she especially because there there's a moment when May's mother is a little bit like there's something about that Miriam that I don't like. And there there was a like I think that that I saw some people saying like that reminds me a lot of like, you know, I had this friend growing up who, you know, my parents like didn't approve of and they, they weren't clear about why they didn't approve of them. And so that certainly stuck out to me. And I did wonder, like, is that kind of where they're going with this? But yeah, they, they don't really do anything with it. And it is one of those things that like. Yeah, I think that Pixar just it's one of those things like I wish Pixar was more independent again and not so like beholden to Disney, because I I do think there are people at Pixar, a lot of people at Pixar, including Pete Doctor, who would um, go a little bit farther with that sort of thing and be more courageous. But they they can't, mm-hmm. you know, or they won't. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Is that even feasible, though, at this point, especially given how much uh, Disney has screwed them over of late? I have kind of wondered if that was something they could explore the idea of just, you know, kind of getting their own, uh, you know, because Pixar is a brand at this point And theoretically, yeah. they could, you know, I mean, uh, they could establish themselves on their own. It would be tricky, of course, and they probably wouldn't have the same budgets, but they could at least, you know, 
get some clout and kind of build themselves. But I don't know. Is that even a possibility at this point? I, I don't even think like if it's a possibility, it's so remote as to be completely negligible because right. like you say, Pixar is so inextricably financially tied to Disney at this point because we, we should state, you know, Disney makes the vast majority of their money through the parks and they have invested a lot of money into the Pixar brand being a big part of the parks. Like right. Disneyland has an entire like area devoted just to Pixar movies. And so for them to break out on their own and to try to do like some sort of like deal like that with Disney, where it's like, yeah, you can use our stuff for it's not, it's never going to happen because Disney is not in the business of like making really good or like, uh, helping or facilitating mm-hmm. great movies from Pixar. They're in the business of franchises through Pixar that they can turn into mm-hmm. money through the parks. Like that's where they're at. Yeah. Right. So like that, that's kind of why I think they're making decisions like this, where they're sort of being like, it's okay to take a huge financial loss and put turning red, like just put it right to Disney plus because in their eyes, the, the original things that they're creating just are not clicking. Like they are just not click, like making it work in theaters in their eyes. Right. And they aren't well, willing to take that yeah. risk. They're not putting the effort in either. Like they're, no, they're, not. they're promoting the movies, but like in Kanto, they really didn't push the theatrical release that much, but they really stressed upon the like Disney plus release. It seems like, and, it and seems there's a like, bias there for that. And Ryan, the last dragon, because those are Walt Disney animation, the in-house right. animation studios. Right. Yeah. And to them, there's like a theatrical tradition, whereas Pixar, they're the, they're the upstarts. They're the ones like, well, yeah. you know, they're a little bit more modern. We can just put them in unless of course it's a sequel to finding Nemo because mm. you know mm-hmm. that is going to make over a billion dollars. And that's the thing that frustrates me is this sort of like Pixar has done so much for Disney you know, the, like those movies saved Disney's animation. I mean, you know, theatrical yeah. business. They just copied and pasted their model pretty much. Like yeah. all these, you know, uh, Disney movies of later just be like, they're just trying to do what Pixar did. They're copying their homework mm-hmm. to the point where people are like, man, there's been, I was talking to somebody recently and they were like, there's been so many Pixar movies recently. And they were mentioning like Encanto and like Ryan, the last year. I was like, no, yeah. those are Disney Ralph movies. Like, internet. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but honestly, like people like they think they're having trouble differentiating these things. And I just think, you know, for the layman, I guess they're not really seeing the difference. And that's probably part of Disney's plan. They're just trying to get that critical and commercial clout, but they're, using it for very exploitative reasons. And, you know, I, I wish I could say this was, you know, just an exception, but this seems to be kind of part of the course for what Disney is going for right now. And yeah, it's just incredibly frustrating stuff. As it usually happens, I feel like we could talk for an, like another half hour about Disney and Pixar and all that fun stuff. But of course we have to move on. Uh, I think we can safely say that we both really like this movie. It's quite good. And it's on Disney plus it's really accessible. I I'm sad that I didn't get to watch it in a theater yet again. I haven't seen a new Pixar uh, movie in the theater in so long since Onward. Yeah. Yeah. Onward is the last one for me, obviously. And uh, I know that Luca got a brief theatrical release. Did this get one, two? Um, I think what you're mentioning is like it it played like in a couple of specialty theaters. Right. Yeah. Like like an awards run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not a lot of places. This one, I know this played in Toronto. Um, okay. like one or two theaters. And then I think it's also played at like the Chinese theater or the El Capitan actually. Yeah. El Capitan. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's yeah. what happened with Luca last year. Yeah. 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 And it's just like a limited run, you know, very specialized. Um, and it is being released theatrically in some countries that don't have Disney plus we should mention. I don't know which countries those are, um, because Disney plus is available in a lot of countries, but yeah, yeah it, there are some places where you can watch it in a theater. If you're in North America, like us, uh, mm-hmm. good luck, uh, kind of difficult sure. too, but 
You know, I, I yeah. would absolutely love to do like a, a Pixar-a-thon, you know, of like where a theater like in our local area is, you know, just like, hey, you know, we, we got the rights to be able to play like a bunch of these original Pixar movies that mm-hmm. didn't play theatrically during the pandemic come out. You right. know, we're going to play well, Luca, Soul, Turning Red. Mm-hmm. I would adore that. Yeah, especially Soul. I'd love to see that in theaters. Yeah, um, yeah but uh yeah i mean because i was thinking about this uh they released warner brothers released scoob in theaters like a year after it went to hbo max and recently i saw that i guess amazon put hotel transylvania 4 in theaters for i think a limited run really? i'm not huh. yeah and I, I mean this could just be locally i don't know i mean i can't speak for every city this is just in my neck of the woods but i was kind of wondering about that i was just like you know like Nothing against those movies. Well, something against Scoob because that movie was just god awful. But uh, you know, like Whoa, they're playing Turning Red in Oakland. Oh, really? I just looked wow. it up and I, I had a, an inkling. I was like, wait, I feel like they might be playing it around here, and they are. Wow. They're playing at the Grand Lake Theater, that theater that they reference in Up. Yeah, wonderful well, theater. Um, there you go. I know what I'm doing later. Um, anyway, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, well, that's yeah. It's so good to there's hear, a but... chance it could be playing near you. You just look it up. Do, use Google Machine. Yeah, I have to check the old Google. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just know that like Hotel Transylvania Four and Scoob got a belated theatrical run. Now it's like, well, where's this love for Luca? Where's this love for, uh, you know, for Soul? Like these movies, I would actually want to see in theaters. You know, I could, you know give a heck about seeing hotel transylvania 4 in theaters but you know i'd like to see these ones in theaters why well, not what's your language will ashton but I'm not yeah a darn or what's the pg movie you know i don't want to like <laughs> of course say, you of know course. i don't, I don't want to bring you, out my arsenal of you're uh, turning red cusses. right now yeah. you look like anger from inside out all right i guess that's a sign we should probably move into the rotten tomatoes game and uh, i forgot to mention it's also a quick movie just 100 minutes um clean hour 40 and yeah, very very fun watch very breezy watch but how is it doing with critics? I think we already kind of alluded that it's doing pretty well with critics. I think that's undeniable. So, Will, this might be a little easy for you to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score to get a, or to get close. But, yeah, what do you think? We have 178 reviews counted. Not a lot, surprisingly, um, yeah. for a new Pixar movie. I mean, by right. comparison, Batman was, what, 399? Sure. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of wild. Uh, so, okay, what do you think the uh, RT score is as uh, the time we're recording this? Uh, my gut says 93%. Quite close, ninety five percent, just a little bit okay. higher, but it's yeah. fluctuating still. I think that it's it's gonna get more reviews over the course of the weekend, and so we'll see if it it goes higher or lower. But yeah, certified fresh. But okay, audience score, we have five hundred plus ratings. What do you think? Um, I guess there's always a possibility that like some vocal group is like really against this movie because it portrays the I don't know female experience or whatever but yeah it's like uh, oh they're they're char- like people of color exist that means it's woke and that means i, I hate it i don't know there's that attitude or, isn't there or like the idea that like it shows like maxi pad so like you know acknowledging that menstruation is a, a thing horror? yeah <laughs> okay i don't know yeah, but yeah. I, I, uh keep i don't know if that's gonna play a factor but i imagine most i mean like probably like 80 something percent of people are probably cool and enjoy this movie so i'm gonna say 82 percent 68 percent 
Okay, so there are people who are getting mad about this, I they guess. They are. Is that It's really? kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. Kind of and so I was right? Well, I'm reading, it's so dumb, leftist political ideologies. Like, come on, oh. you don't even know what those words mean. If you're saying this is a leftist political movie, like, okay, you are clearly, de- like, deranged. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think that that's the, the audience score, you know? Yeah. But, uh, okay, what about, and, and I actually, I took a look at Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes and like nobody in my sort of like, nobody I follow on Letterboxd and nobody who was like rotten on the film, none of them are people that I like particularly like follow. So I, oh. yeah, it's like a universal Harsh praise. words for Sean O'Connor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, okay, you can, sorry for that. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow yeah. him on here. So that is the case. I know. Yeah. And um, it's not on Rotten Tomatoes anymore. So. Oh, it's not? Yeah, I didn't know. No. Um, yeah, I was looking up. Uh, it looks like my lowest uh, um, letterbox score is like a three out of five, which is still good. It's still, you know, positive. So most for me is yeah. three and a half from like a couple people. And that's it. Wow. Um, including yeah. uh, Allie, Allie Johnson, who reviewed it for us yeah. on the youngfolks.com. She gave it a three and a half. Yeah. Shout out to Allie. Yeah. Um, 3.8. So you are guessing the average letterbox score right now. Yeah. I only looked I at my friend's uh, <laughs> score. I, I, to be clear, I did not look at the actual no problem, no problem. Rating. Yeah. Um, so it has 35,000 watches on letterbox right now. The average rating, so your guess is 3.8. Mm-hmm. That's quite close, 3.9. Nice. So, yeah, turn that frown upside. Um, that is turning red. It is now available to stream on Disney Plus, and I think we can probably safely say this is going to win the Academy Award <laughs> for Best you Animated so? Feature next year. Uh, uh, I have to double is... check what else is hitting, but I mean, Lightyear is the other Pixar movie this year, and yeah. I, I forget what Disney... Well, Disney has like something coming out, I think, but I don't remember what. Well... There's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio coming up, oh. which I'm very, very excited for. I'm ironically very excited for that. And then there's the new uh, Harry Salick movie, the one he did with Jordan Peele. Here's the thing, uh, though. Wendell I just, and uh, what, was it, what was it called? Wendell and uh, something. Yeah. I don't remember, but I, I I just think that if it if a Pixar movie comes out and people really like it and it's original, like I just think that that's like don't even bother i think like a lot of people tend right. to um although this year is kind of interesting i'm curious if yeah. uh if luca is actually i don't know if luca's gonna win i think that i think mitchell's versus machines has a serious shot i mean i'm pretty certain it's gonna be in kanto at this point but and who Kanto knows? could i could i could see it want to be in one of those three and i, I like all like three of those Kanto. movies so yeah 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 i mean i would be shocked if it wasn't in kanto at this point That's unless netflix really puts the pedal to the metal for uh, you know, like you said, giving Mitchell's versus the machine. Well, they have that, been, well, because I like, I, you know, I get the for your consideration boxes and I get so much stuff for Mitchell's versus the machines. I've got nothing for Encanto, nothing for Luca. So, I, you know, it has obviously that's super anecdotal and it's not right. really like going to decide anything. But I do think it's telling that the, Netflix is really pushing that movie. But anyway, sure. Well, that's why I think Robin Robin's probably going to win best animated short film. But I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be a pretty contentious uh, best anime feature category, but we'll see. I agree with you there. All right. Well, we have one more maybe to do before we let you all go, before we say goodbye and good night. Uh, we're going to talk about the Atom Project. Now, that's Atom spelled A-D-A-M, not Atom, right? Atom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a kind of a sci-fi action comedy. Like, it's not super funny, but it, it like has jokes, I guess. But I don't know. I feel weird calling it a comedy, but it's, it's, it's I guess very... if you had a skew it it's like 
closer to comedy than drama, but it's both. It's, it's very quippy. Yeah, yeah, very it's, quippy, it's like very marvelly. This movie yeah. is basically Guardians of the Galaxy, like exists and we want to do a version of it to the point where they even cast zoe saldana yeah the highest right? grossing actress in the world right is she, she still is. The highest? yeah between avatar and avengers infinity war and endgame yeah and I mean, star, Zoe's Wars, star trek star trek yeah star trek too but uh, i mean avatar and yeah, endgame are the yeah, well, two avatar. highest grossing movies of all time and she's one of the main characters in yeah both. was she in she was an endgame right like yeah. briefly yeah Not but briefly. i know she's she obviously was in in, quite a bit well, I Which know for fan? sure she was in Infinity War, but I couldn't remember for certain if she was in. Yeah, uh, we get Endgame. the we get the new Gamora in Endgame. Right, that's right. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. this new movie is called The Atom Project, and it's not a Marvel movie, but it certainly you know understands that Marvel movies exist and make money. Well, let's put it that way. But so um, this movie follows a, a man named Adam Reed who lives in the year 2050. He is a pilot, and he steals a what's called a time jet. Um, because he's going on a time travel rescue mission to the year 2018, but he accidentally crash lands in 2022, where he meets his 12-year-old self, and uh, the pilot is played by Ryan Reynolds, and the boy that he meets, um, his like younger version, is played by um, Walt Walker Scobell, who I, this might be, I think this is one of his first roles because I didn't recognize him, but basically he's trying to. Get back to, well, he's trying to get to 2018 for reasons that the movie reveals over time. And he's being pursued by the leader of this like dystopian time travel corporation played by Catherine Keener, who, who Catherine Keener, she's good at playing a, a good villain. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, uh, I think the last time I remember her being a villainous character was like, get um, out. Well, yeah, I mean, she's a great actress, but Just I mean, I got to be honest, she's not good in this movie. Like she, I didn't, I didn't think she was very good either. So I'm glad you said she, that. Cause I was going to feel kind of bad for not really like, but it's know. not like she's like trying. That's the thing, right? It's, it just seems yeah. like she's incredibly bored. Like obviously this project is beneath her and this role, these roles are beneath her. This Adam project but, is beneath her. Yeah. But it's just like, she just like, it looked like she like, you know, needed a cup of coffee or something. She just like had no energy in this role at all. It's supposed to be like the lead villain. And it's just like, you know, it looks so okay. sleepy. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Mark yeah. Ruffalo and Jennifer Gardner are also in this movie. And this was supposed to be a Tom Cruise movie. Um, they were working on this. Uh, it, was, it was originally called Our Name is Adam. They announced it back in, I think, like 2012, I want to say. And Paramount was going to make it with Tom Cruise playing the Ryan Reynolds character. Uh, the script was written by T.S. Nolan. And it kind of just died. Uh, they never because, made it. Because uh, Tom Cruise doesn't age. <laughs> so it's kind of a trouble Might have, yeah yeah, yeah. just like cast him as his 12 year old self <laughs> it's just yeah yeah um but they they brought it back in 2020 with uh sean levy directing it they moved it to netflix um obviously netflix and paramount have a pretty like symbiotic relationship although paramount more and more is kind of striking out on their own with their own streaming service which i think is yikes uh, because I, I do think that like Paramount is Paramount Plus doing well. I, I don't want to tangent off in that, but I'm just kind of like curious. Like, um, is, how is that working out for them? Viacom in general? I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming 1883 is a sizable hit, but I mean, I don't like if if I talk about Paramount Plus, most people I talk to don't have it. You know, it's kind of same with Peacock. So it's one of those where it's like people at least know Peacock about them. though has like 
a lot of you know shows that people are like we got to watch yeah. i don't know maybe maybe i think paramount plus is like i'm, I'm looking at the stats and they have 32.8 million members that's not bad mm. it could be yeah, way worse it seems like it's very okay the main thing with them is that there's they're kind of like in an identity crisis they really don't know what to be pushing or like what they want their streaming service to be right so yeah that's that's uh but that's not related to um the adam Adam project (laughs) which is a netflix movie well netflix which has like 200 million 300 million subscribers whatever it is but um yeah no so sean levy directed ryan reynolds last film or one of his last films which was free guy i guess his last film was like red notice or whatever but uh free guy which was one of the big box office surprise hits of 2021 and so they're back together again um, with like, a, I think this is a revised version of the script because T.S. Nolan did the spec script and then Jonathan Tropper, Jennifer Flackett and Mark Levin worked on a new version of the script. It's very hacked, this script, like it's really all over the place. Um, I don't hate this movie, to be honest with you. I, I think it's OK. I, I, I think it's like kind of um, grading at times. Like there are times when it, especially when it's just Ryan Reynolds and Walker Scobell just sort of like arguing with each other i'm just like can we move on this is not interesting like i don't think they have any sort of like i don't know i don't believe that they're the same person but like one's older like at all like is it a casting yep. issue like what is going on here <laughs> I, I don't know and also well, that mark ruffalo is their dad no no <laughs> they don't look anything like i don't right. know it's weird yeah uh, yeah that was even more bizarre yeah and then yeah i mean i think i, I mean the kid is fine like I, the, certainly the film's problems do not belong to him but i think i felt i imagine the casting process process was just like can you uh do those quips the way ryan reynolds does exactly Perfect. that's why it's weird because like i don't think the kid is bad but it's like they're trying to make him act like ryan reynolds and it's like he clearly is uncomfortable with it because who talks like ryan reynolds besides ryan reynolds it's weird what's well, the weird thing is that like even like Jennifer Gardner and like Mark Ruffalo and the times Catherine Keener are talking like Ryan Reynolds. It got to the point where it's like, did Ryan Reynolds write this script? Uh, because like he was a, a screenwriter on Deadpool too. So, you know, he is, you know, in the writing guild now. So I was like, yeah, is he writing scripts now for his movies? I, I didn't know. He might but, as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't um, know. I, I think that like, Ryan Reynolds himself is okay in this, but like we kind of mentioned the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. And part of the reason it's stylistically so much of a piece with that is they, they do the thing where it's like, you know, flying spaceships and playing old music and, you know, having parental issues. And it's just like he's just kind of doing a redux of Chris Pratt's Peter Quill from those movies down to his love interest is Zoe Saldana. Like, who are they trying to fool here? <laughs> like, it's really weird. Yeah, I mean, uh, without getting ahead of myself, I think I'm certainly more negative on this film than you are. I'm going to say it's an outright bad film. This I wouldn't say it's bad. I think it's just super mediocre. Well, that's the problem, right? Because it's like we have, you know, an original blockbuster. And, you know, obviously it's a Netflix movie. But this is one of the few, you know, not based on IP or pre-established property movies of this vein we're going to get. And it's just like you said, so aggressively mediocre to point where it's like this is feels like a hundred minute car commercial like it has no established stakes like stuff happens and there's a lot of whizzing cameras and like people need to go places but there's no sense of tension yeah there is a there's a moment where they even say it's like we have to stop time travel from ever happening i'm like wait why like i didn't really understand the stakes very much well, I mean, they, they talk about like stakes as far as like, this is bad if, you know, things go bad, but yeah, you know, the like, future they, they, is like Terminator, but worse. 
Right. But then, like, you know, like even Mark Ruffle would be like, you guys can't mess with the time continuum or whatever. And it's like, okay. Why not? <laughs> and then they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, you know what? Whatever. We'll just keep talking. Well, no, uh, they, they literally are cool. just like, well, it doesn't matter. It's fine. And he's he keeps going and it's so yeah. annoying. He's just like, you can't do it. And they're just like, dude, like we already have. Like, right. and he's like, you can't even talk to me right now. It's like, <laughs> can you calm down? <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird, uh, but you know what? Well, I do have to push back a little bit. Okay. Because, you know, I certainly believe that, you, yeah, you, you you did not care for this movie, but I do think that it's mediocrity. It's going to kind of be a, a feature point for a lot of people. I can see a lot of people liking this. I don't know if you agree, but like this to me screams oh, sure. I mean, sort of like family friendly, approachable sort of like, it's kind of family friendly. It's very PG 13, but you know, yeah. very much like sci-fi family films of the past, but like sort mm. of updated. And I could see people watching this being like, Hey, I liked that. Now, not people being like, that was amazing. That was so good. But people are going to be like, that was nice. You know, I'd watch that again. Sure. And I mean, you know, by all means, if they like it, I'm not going to take that away from them, but that doesn't diminish my uh, dissatisfaction with the sure. film. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the weird thing for me is that, this movie, I think more than anything, I, I had to find a way to kind of preoccupy my mind watching this. I just kept thinking a lot about like where Ryan Reynolds is in his career at this point. And, you know, like he's had such he's a coasting and loving it. Yes, that's what I mean. So like we're, we're at this point now where he had a few years there, like, you know, he kind of found his fame with Van Wilder. Mm-hmm. He, you know, kept trying to really get into like the blockbuster scene, like he did the X Men Origins Wolverine. You know, he had like, you know, like even like a movie like The Proposal, which isn't like a traditional blockbuster, but you know, he was like kind of trying his hand at like Just Friends, like Just Friends, definitely, maybe, you know, just like that. Sure, leading. Yeah, man. I mean, he was just kind of just like, hey, I'm handsome, I'm funny leading man right you know even like something like what uh waiting sorry where it's just like hey i'm funny i'm handsome i'm a yeah. lead right and everyone just kind of like yeah yeah i guess yeah sure and you know he you know never really quite found that lead part and you know obviously during this time he was trying to get deadpool off the ground and wasn't really coming to be so there was this period of time where he was really pushing himself as an actor like he did the nines he did buried he did the voices and he, he did it at the that, same time that he was doing like he was still trying for things like green lantern right you know and mississippi grind mm-hmm. mississippi grind is another one where he's like yeah he's terrific in those movies like he's really good like it's performances that really are complex and nuanced it's like yeah this guy can really be a great actor and it kind of ended with the the first deadpool movie because it's like that's like the big success like after all this time you know ryan reynolds is a lead actor it's like what's he gonna do now that he's finally gotten what he was looking for and like you said he's just sort of coasting now well you know and, I, I think he's always kind of been half and half with his roles because like around the time that he's doing really good stuff like buried or you know things like uh, the voices he, he yeah. does like r.i.p.d you know? sure you're right or, yeah yeah, he's, he's just always doing something that's kind of just terrible, you know? Right. He keeps poking his head in the blockbuster and like, you guys want me here yet? And everyone's like, no. It's like, okay, I'll just go back to <laughs> do Mississippi Grind. In one year, he'll do a movie like Life, where he's just kind of a bit role and kind of a fun bit role in an okay, okay. movie. But then he'll do something like Hitman's Bodyguard, which people yeah. are just like, it, it, that's a huge success out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, that one, and that's such a mediocre movie in, in two. And I, I had forgotten about the sequel as well. But yeah, that's just another just like Ryan Reynolds is just doing the Ryan Reynolds thing. And then there was also Red Notice last year, which I never finished. So I can't, you know. Well, he's been in a mode with um, Netflix where he's done like at least two of these where, you know, he did Six Underground, 
which yeah. he was like, which is better than this. I think I know you're going to disagree wow. with that, but that is absolutely, nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. Not at least that movie has some personality. At least like Bayham comes out. This is just nothing. This is pudding. Like this what? is just vanilla pudding. Uh, you're going movie. a little bit too far there. I think I'm yeah. sorry if you disagree, but that's just where I'm coming from right now. I'm think- turning red. I think that he, <laughs> I think he's just in this mode where he's just himself in all of his movies. And I think he knows that that's the way to a do it. A variation of himself. At least his on-screen self. I don't Very know what he's slight, like in real life. You know, yeah. like if we had to say like a, a, if he's time traveling, like different versions of himself along the same spectrum. Because he, he, he isn't that different. Like I think Free Guy was one of those movies where I think he was a bit different. Like that was more of a performance because eh, he was like eh. playing an avatar. Whatever. But still is kind of a version of himself, right? But yeah, but then you get like movie like this and it's like kind of compelling if you look at it in that way, because he's literally like going back to his younger self. And he there is like this weird sort of like mix of pithy self-loathing, but also sort of like uh, reflexive sort of like self-aggrandizing because he's like literally like making fun of himself, like being like, yeah. oh, you suck my me. How dare <laughs> you? But then like he'll have his kids up being like, hey, you're looking kind of swole NGL. And he'd be like, oh, thanks, man. It's kind of funny. Well, I, you know, one one thing that I did preach about this movie toward the end of it was there is a moment where the kid kind of is able to teach him a little bit and be like, you don't remember stuff. You don't you know? say. And I, I his don't know, younger I, self is teaching him a lesson. Well, I what? think, that they, yeah, it's a little obvious, but I, I thought that there was like a nice way in with that a little bit of like th- there was something about how we like sort of fool ourselves into thinking things were a certain way and that is something that the kid can offer him of like you don't remember this because you've repressed it and you you're, you want to believe this narrative about your upbringing because the, I, I, the, there was a little bit of poignancy there i wouldn't say it was profound but it was nice in a movie that i think otherwise is a lot of mumbo jumbo that i didn't care about and yeah again that's what i mean by like you can take this premise and make a really thoughtful film and it doesn't have to sacrifice the entertainment value but you can get like an edge of tomorrow type movie where it's you know fun and it kind of plays with time travel in an interesting way but still has something to say and has you know something that can do that's unique to the genre it just seems like sean levy as a filmmaker is just so mediocre that he just can't really communicate that like i said there's no established stakes there's no sense of conflict everyone is quipping to the max and it feels like we're just like at the state now with movies where people don't really want to be challenged or confronted with any sort of like genuine dilemma they just kind of want passive com- or you know passive entertainment that they can watch on netflix while they're you know texting or cocaine or doing whatever they're doing and it's like okay that's fine but that's not a movie that's just you know entertainment the content and uh, you know i yeah. guess i guess i think you're being a little bit too harsh because i think there is some stuff in here i don't think that it fully connects and it's like all that well like i don't think I this is gonna about, last yeah. the test of time or anything well, but sure not yeah i don't know no you're making it sound like it's just like nothing like it's just mush and i don't know it is mush Nah, there's there's heart in this movie. There is like a well, little bit. I, I don't even think there's a lot of heart with the main characters. And I actually was feeling it when, you know, there's there's certain moments between Ryan Reynolds character and Zoe Saldana's character that like, you know, there, there's a real emotion there. You know, again, I, I'm not going to go too uh, far and say that it's great or anything, but I mean, there's, a little uh, bit. there's want, fun to be had. Uh, if, if you want me to compliment the movie, there are some things I do like. It's primarily with Mark Ruffalo, who, you know, he's not 
he's not given a, you know, Oscar worthy performance here, but he does, you know, whenever he comes into the fold, this movie does pick up a little bit. There's a little bit of a spark here. And I do think he does have decent chemistry with um, Ryan Reynolds, but more so he has, you know, this little nice, lovely chemistry, reunited chemistry with uh, Jennifer Gardner. And they only have one scene together, but it's a nice little moment. And it's like, okay, maybe, you know, if, if they done stuff like this a little bit more, maybe there's something here. Maybe we got a movie. Maybe we're cooking here. But <laughs> I'm glad they didn't make the joke, though, that, like, you know, this movie is 30 going on 13. Yeah. Uh, too well, too I, obvious. Too easy. I was I was waiting for someone to do that on Letterboxd, and I don't think I've oh, seen I'm anyone sure. do it. Oh, I'm so, sure somebody has by now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because I was like, I thought about that joke. I was like, yeah, someone's probably made that already. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't make it. But, you know, if no one has, you know. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. It's literally the number one most popular review on I figured someone had done that, yeah. Uh, Sean Levy really should have called this 30 going on 13 instead. Perfect. Right. Yeah, so I figured someone had done that, right? But I don't know. I mean, for me, I just get frustrated with stuff like this because, like you say, it's mostly just mediocre like it's just fine it's whatever it's not incompetent to the point where it's like you know inaccessible or whatever but it it just doesn't feel like much of anything to me the the heart that you see in this movie it just mostly eludes me i guess because i just don't i see the the calculations being made and i just don't really see the emotion or the humanity it's really putting in there and uh okay where where i can sort of get on your wavelength is i you know i do weep for the current state of Netflix original movies where I do I do get annoyed that it just feels like they're making content. They're not really making art up very often. And I think that, yeah, they're just sort of like they're creating what's the equivalent of background music for people. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And part of me is sort of like, I don't want to say upset about that, but a little bit like, yeah, that's not ideal. Um, but I do appreciate in some ways that like Netflix does sort of open the floodgates for a lot of original projects. It's just like a lot of the really good stuff we're getting from Netflix. It really does come from their shows. It's like their shows um, far and wide. Like there are a lot of really good ones. Some of them are also just like background TV shows, I guess, but they are making like pop culture defining things right now. But in terms of movies, not so much. I think the movies are just so low as common denominator denominator most of the time, unless it's award season and they have like, this is like one of our like, a-list movies, uh, yeah. right? We were going to give uh, Martin Scorsese a check. We're going to do something right. with Alfonso Caron. We're going to make, which, make yeah, yeah. you know, we're going to, yeah. yeah, we're going to make Mitchell's versus the Machines. Will Ashton's favorite movie of 2021, you know? like <laughs> I I mean, certainly Mitchell's versus the Machines is better than this, certainly. I, I Hey, I got that out of this review, so I'm happy yeah. there. Um, yeah. We should probably move uh, on to the Rotten Tomatoes game because we have... Uh, We've kind of run steam a little bit on this. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm unfortunately kind of pressed for time. But I was going to say it is kind of funny to me that, you know, the first movie turning red, a movie about, you know, a daughter and mother having some, you know, mom issues. Mm -hmm. And then we got a movie this time where we got, you know, uh, a man, his younger self with his dad, you know, having some dad issues. So we got something for everybody, I guess. I'd say (laughs) most movies boil down to parental problems. (laughs) Like, I think that's pretty fair, isn't it? Well, I, I could be Freud. I'd say that that boils down the human psychology in general. But yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah. Put, 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 put uh, but, the tweed jacket back on the shelf. We gotta... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do also think it's funny that we got a movie with a Canadian actor playing an American who says sorry. And then we got a movie set in Canada where an actress says sorry. I think she says sorry and sorry. So I was just a set like what topsy turvy world. Yeah. I'll pay attention well, she says, for that. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it's like in the one scene. I, I also forgot to mention that. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I also really appreciate that Turning Red is to date the only uh, Pixar movie that that is partially a kaiju movie. So it's like, you know what? That's sure. all, that, that was another thing that I really appreciate. But yeah, at, at one point during that scene, she said, I think she says sorry and sorry. And it was just kind of like, hmm. Well, she just she says both, but what country Ryan Reynolds we only maybe said, that, we don't know. Maybe yeah. that happens in Canada. Maybe maybe people yeah. aren't as uh, monolithic yeah. as we like yeah, to I think. Guess so. huh? Yeah, um, but Ryan Reynolds <laughs> only says sorry, so uh, it was just like, oh, what what are we doing here? <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. My my interpretation was that just like everyone's Canadian in future, hence the dystopia. But whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's our takeaway this week. Everyone's Canadian. <laughs> Weird week. I think because the Batman has been playing in so many theaters and it's been doing pretty well, that there's like nothing really new theatrically, except for like, I think there was like one thing that like nobody really knows about. Was uh, Turning Red supposed to be theatrically released this week or did they move it up? Um, I think the limited run is already going on. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, like when it was going wide, was it supposed to come out this weekend? Or uh, was that I don't weekend? I don't know. I, I know it was March, but I don't know if You're it was right. this weekend or last weekend. Yeah. A little too far away in the past for me to remember, but it, it was definitely around this time. But yeah, um, that's why we're talking about two streaming releases an Adam project. You can stream on Netflix. It's an hour and 46 minutes on Rotten Tomatoes. We have 133 reviews counted. Not a lot. Uh, but what do you think the RT score is? Well, uh, 72 percent, 69 percent. OK, nice. And I, it, I was 70 oh, and it, it, uh, it dropped one point. Basically, uh, we got Ron Reynolds over here making a 69 joke. All right. And in then this wholesome uh, episode. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, audience score, we have 250 plus ratings. What do you think? Um, 78%. 81%. You're, yeah. you're in the margin of error a lot this week. So you're doing all right. But all right. let's you. see if you, let's see if you, your last chance for a spot on Letterboxd. We have 15,000 watches. Not a lot either. Mm-hmm. I was expecting more on Letterboxd, but nope. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think the average rating is? uh 2.5 3.2 i hoped i hoped um yeah i think a lot of people are giving this like between two and a half and three and a half stars lots of threes basically much to your chagrin although my netflix i'm seeing plenty of twos and twos and a half like more i was gonna say i i saw a lot of twos and 2.5 so it's like it's probably like a 2.5 average but i think critics are pretty mixed on it but i do i again I, i think audiences are like adam projects sign me up I'm in. Okay. Okay. That's it for our show this week. All right. Next week, uh, we're, we're in we're in the thrust of South by Southwest, so I haven't really looked at what's coming out next week besides like some Whoa. indie stuff. Uh, there is a uh, the Deep Water coming up on Hulu. I know the outfit is coming up. Uh, do you yeah. want to see that? Um. um yeah. We're, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a bit of a. Is it going to be a bit of a grab bag? You think? Because I, I, there's not anything like really major, unless I'm forgetting something. Well, like I said, Deep Water is a big one for me because that's, you know, I'm very curious about what that movie is. Uh, oh, it looks you, like it looks like Uma is going to be coming out. Um, that's oh, yeah. A horror yeah, film. That, yeah that, that. They, they didn't promote that movie at all. I don't, is that yeah. like a Sam Raimi produced movie? Um, I don't remember. I know Sandra Oh is in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I, oh, yeah. yeah uh, Sam Raimi is a producer. Uh, X is coming out. X from yeah, is, the A24. Yeah. Yeah. With me. Which is also going to be at the um, uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, it looks like Alice, which we both saw at Sundance, is coming out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just like a bunch of little things. There's like Cheaper by the Dozen, the, uh, yeah. the one that's going to have, um, what's his name, Zach Braff. What? Yeah, the remake. I didn't, this is coming? What? Yeah, it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. I did not hear about this at all. Well, well. Wow. 
Is is he supposed to be playing the same character that Steve Martin played in the uh, other yeah. remake? Oh, okay. How far we've come, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, a uh, bunch of little things. I'm not sure which of these movies we're going to focus on, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll have to find out soon, I suppose. Yeah, I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah. But until then, we'll see you all in the next one. Thank you for as always for listening. From the mm-hmm. Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And if you're in Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time. <laughs>